This is Revolutionizing Recruitment with Kathleen Duffy. The arts of attracting, acquiring, and retaining talent. Here's Kathleen. Joining me this week is Christy Pambianchi, the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Verizon. Christy is Verizon's lead HR officer, managing all compensation, benefits, talent acquisition, diversity and inclusion, training, and labor relations functions for the nation's leading provider of fiber optic and global internet networks and services. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Great. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you today. And and, uh, before really we get into what you do, I'm very curious to know how you ended up in your role at Verizon after nearly 20 years at Corning. Specifically, you know, what was it that piqued your interest to look at something outside of Corning? Well, thanks for that question. First, I love Corning. I lived in the community. I had and raised my children there into their teens and some into young adulthood. Love the industries that Corning participates in, one of which is telecommunications. And Corning invented optical fiber and a lot of the, uh, the connectivity devices that are used to build out networks and such. And so when uh, I was contacted to be a candidate for the Verizon role, it was really an extension of an industry that I loved from my time at Corning and also a company that my dad had retired from. And so I felt that there was just a natural progression to continue to contribute to the growth of the connectivity of the world and uh, also kind of connect to some family heritage. That's cool. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. I, I uh, grew up a little uh, west of there in, in Binghamton, so I know that area quite well. So you were a passive candidate, and you got the call right out of the blue, right? Yes. So now you um, have made that big decision. I know you moved your family, um, which I'm sure was um, a lot of discussion around the dining room table over that. I'm guessing that you were really just getting your stride over here at, at Verizon, and then this pandemic comes into play. But I'm really curious, what was it like leading HR for such a gigantic company during the pandemic? And and you guys were an essential service, right? Yes. So Verizon is considered critical infrastructure as such during the pandemic and the shelter in place orders uh, exempt from some provisions of those in order to continue to provide services to customers and keep citizens connected. And so, as you mentioned, I joined the company and just a few short months later, the pandemic onset happened and I also lead the enterprise level crisis response process and, uh, you know, efforts. So it was kind of a dual challenge. And the first component, we had just finished uh, building out a five-year HR plan to support the Verizon 2.0 business strategy. And so that had allowed a lot of forming and team building among the HR leadership to really have a unified focus on what we wanted to do and what the company needed us to do so Verizon could achieve its long-term plans. And so as COVID uh, emerged, we obviously have employees in Asia, so we had activated our regional team to respond and support the crisis in Asia. We saw it move to Europe, same thing. And then as it started to enter North America and was deemed a global pandemic, we activated our global crisis response process and it was really evident from the outset that this was a human crisis and so we wouldn't be called as an hr function just to support the crisis 
but also to sort of lead how would the company continue to operate where there's a global pandemic with no cure and life threatening uh, mm-hmm. to so many and to so many societal risks at large. And so the HR team was very core in the in the war room in the command centers, went to work you know very, very rapidly those first two weeks of March to map out how would we pivot uh, many, many of our employees, over 100,000 of them to work in a remote setting when their jobs really weren't designed for that and we weren't set up for that. And second, how could we build and craft the policies that we needed to be able to keep our customers connected and keep our people safe, whether that was caregiver leave or backup childcare or underlying condition leave, um, COVID sick leaves, et cetera. So we were definitely in overdrive those early few weeks and then obviously continuing the last 18 months or so. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Well, I have been a Verizon customer for I can't begin to tell you how long. So I appreciate everything that uh, you and your your team did over there to be able to keep my business operating as well. So are you, um, you know, and now, now as we're hearing about this Delta variant, how is that, you know, we were just sort of starting to catch our breath, right? And now we've got this other thing. How is Verizon responding to this new strain? So we continue to have our crisis response activated for for COVID and for the you know, kind of the tail of the pandemic and whatever iterations will continue to come. And so we are actively promoting to our employees and and giving them paid time off to get vaccinated. We have outstanding benefit programs to enable our people to do that. And we think much like is guided by the CDC and the World Health Organization, that is critical to the world being able to move past the coronavirus. And I think while the you know we follow the guidance of the of the medical community and the experts, you know the evidence is that it's more virulent in the first uh, few days of contraction, and that it's um, even more rapid spreading and potentially more dangerous uh, for those that are unvaccinated. So I think we're supporting government calls to action around the world to help them communicate and promote vaccinations in their countries, in our country here in the U.S. And then we have a COVID webpage where we continue to educate our employees. And then we do a daily broadcast where we update them on changes and things that they need to be aware of. And you can see now some parts of the United States reinstituting recommended mask mandates and things such as that. So I think we still have, uh, you know, we're in that last mile, but we can't, we can't let our eyes off uh, and our mm-hmm. gas off the, you know, foot off the gas pedal. We have to stay focused on uh, winning the battle against COVID. Well, I'd like to take a step back now, Christy, and I want to learn a little bit more about you. So I'm a recruiter. I'm an executive recruiter. And I looked at your LinkedIn profile and your bio the uh, before call. And quite honestly, it screamed to me, this is a truly awesome HR professional. <laughs> and what I'd like to know is what attracted you towards a career in HR? So as a kid growing up, you don't actually know that there's something called HR and you really don't know that much about business. I was a lifeguard. I worked in food service. I worked in dining at college. I had a lot of internships and things like that. And I think as a, as a high school kid, I thought I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to study law and society and uh, participate in, in, and have a career in that direction. And I actually lived abroad as a senior, as an exchange student, I lived in a, 
foreign country, lived with a foreign family, went to local high school, learned the language. And so I had an idea that I might want to go into uh, law and international relations, et cetera. So I, uh, at Cornell, was studying in the Industrial Labor Relations Program, where there's a strong societal and labor and legal underpinning. And I did an internship in the law field. And I also did an internship in human resources with a with a top Fortune 50 company. And I didn't really like the work uh, of what was involved in the work I did as a lawyer on my internship. And I absolutely fell in love with the work I did in a plant in my human resource internship in the summer. And so I came back to campus as a junior, um, having spent a semester working in a law firm and a full summer working in an HR intern program and threw myself at, um, you know, finishing out all my electives and as many as I could deep in the areas that were required in human resources and set about making sure I got a job in human resources with the top HR function so I could start my career and learn uh, from some of the best people in the field. And I can't speak enough for how important internships are because they really let you learn and contribute. But there was a lot of learning that went on and I learned so much. I'm very grateful for the internships I had. Amen. I'm I'm with you on the intern program. And I think it's it's tough because a lot of um, organizations don't know how to put an HR intern program together. And so I'm, I'm guessing, was that a program through, through Pepsi? I was an intern at General Electric and okay. they had an HR management training program and I was in yeah. the intern cohort and it was an outstanding experience. Well, you probably had a big decision between that and uh, and deciding to go to Pepsi. You <laughs> you made a great decision that either is way. True. I know that uh, that was the other thing. I know that Pepsi is a is a great school to uh, to be able to get that advanced degree in the school of hard knocks and experiences. So um, I also heard a story that in the early '90s you wore a pantsuit on Business Casual Friday, and I'm curious to know a little bit more about that story. Yeah, it was the mid-90s, and I wore a suit to work every day, meaning uh, a skirt and a blazer and heels. And the concept of Casual Friday was instituted at headquarters. And I had this pantsuit that I loved, uh, that I had just got, and it was slacks and a blazer and a blouse and i wore it and i remember some of the other women coming up to me saying oh you're daring wearing that on on business casual friday and i think it just speaks to you know there was still a lot of formality in business uh in the 90s and especially for for women's business attire and i look back at you know only recently did i stop wearing heels and stockings and wearing a, a skirt and a, a dress suit to work every day. So it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting changing of the times. And at the time that I went to work in the manufacturing and industrial sector, there really still weren't a lot of women. So it was a pretty big shock to my system when I started my career that uh, there were so few to no women. And I remember thinking, where did all the women go? Like half my classmates were women. And my professors in the career center team were like, yeah, well, they didn't go into manufacturing. You know, mm -hmm. they went into more of these other sectors. And so yeah. I wasn't really prepared for, um, I hadn't, you know, paid much attention to be totally honest. I thought all of this was solved in the 60s uh, during the equal rights and all of the advancements in women's 
rights and women in the workplace. So, uh, you know, unexpectedly have spent, you know, a lot of my career the last 32 years really working to advance um, diversity and inclusion efforts so that all of society can participate actively in the economy and have meaningful jobs and support the, the lives that they want for themselves and their families. Well, and we've certainly come full circle here on the um, on the dress code now as uh, uh, the pandemic has um, introduced everyone to sweatpants and t-shirts. So um, yeah. I was listening. I was listening <laughs> to uh, NPR the other day, and they were saying that the um, fashion is going to be um, loose and cozy now. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So I've been in the HR profession just a, a little bit longer than you, and one of the things that I've seen is a huge transformation um, just in the in the profession. So, you know, to your point, there there weren't very many women in in the industry, and what I always found is that there were very few HR professionals who had a seat at the executive table back there, and that was all back then, and that was always conversation that was going on. How does HR get a seat at the table? And I'm curious, what were some of the some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the profession during your career? Because you've certainly been in the trenches. Well, I think that it's been a, an evolution. And I'm really proud of and excited where the profession of human resources has evolved to. And I think like anything, we're not done. And the world around us isn't static. And the world of work and the products and services and companies that are in the economy today, you know, continue to evolve and innovate at super rapid rates. But what I would say I've seen happen over the course of my career when I started, I had the good fortune, both where I interned and where I started my career and in joining companies that HR was really um, making a, a high impact and uh, invited to be a member of the leadership teams, whether it was in the region that I supported as a young 20-something right out of school uh, in an employee relations representative role or all the way to the leadership team of the company. And I think key to earning and sustaining that position on a team is really understanding the business and Mm -hmm. also being an expert at your craft. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you can't do one and not the other. It's not enough Mm -hmm. to be a deep expert in the field of human resources on its own. And it's not enough to be super facile at the business, but not have any HR expertise because you're a member of that team to both help that business thrive. And the position you play on the team is the human resource position. So it's sort of like if I were on the Yankees, my favorite baseball team, and I was hired to play first base, I would want to be the best first baseman that the Yankees could have. And at the same time, be a great contributor to the team and the strategy for the team and how it, what it would take for us to win. And so you kind of have to do both. And so over the course of my career, I've tried to always ensure that I was investing in myself and learning as much as I could and never stop learning about how to stay current and be a leader in the various areas of HR domain expertise, as well as really lean in and work with and understand the business and the jobs and the employees that I'm supporting. And so those are the ways I think that that HR teams have earned a seat at the table. And then how I've seen the function evolve over the 30 some odd years is, you know, there's kind of phases. I think, you know, before I started my career professionally, 
the function was much more of administration and compliance it was kind of personnel and how do mm -hmm. I get people's paperwork and how do I get them paid and how do I get them signed up for and track their benefits and things like that. And maybe depending on your company's profile, work in the labor, labor relations, union contract management issue space. Over the last, you know, then a decade or two later, compensation and the war for talent and um, equity compensation and all of these kind of things grew along with globalization. So how to scale a company, how to compete for talent in, in these new emerging companies, markets, et cetera, became a really important contribution to companies at the top of the house. And now I think it's evolving even farther. One of the things that's come out over the last number of years is how important culture is mm -hmm. and the vital role that human resources plays in partnership with the leaders to establish a winning culture and to bring that culture to life and then to hold ourselves accountable that we're really living the values and bringing the culture to life in the way that we want. So that's a huge, I think, thing that's evolved over the last 30 years. Another is really understanding talent and the analytics around talent and what it takes to have talent be a competitive advantage and have the talent that a company needs to thrive. Um, and then I think another area that continues to evolve is technology and how HR can um, serve employees, serve leaders, serve their companies well through the use of all kinds of digital tools and analytics to create a better experience for employees. And then I think societal expectations have changed dramatically over that time horizon. And society and employees um, want and expect a lot greater transparency and agency over their careers, their employment, what's happening to them in the workplace. And so I think that's making HR departments and leaders and companies be, you know, be more thoughtful and creative about that as well. Interesting. So if an HR professional executive came to you and they said, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a new opportunity and I really want to understand if that leader, that CEO truly embraces the human resource profession. And this is not, you know, a GE or a Pepsi where, where they are known to really value HR. How would you advise this HR executive to investigate and see if the CEO really is, is walking the talk? I think this is where there's so much available in the landscape today to find out about companies and their culture. So there's a lot of social platforms where you can get third party insight or insight from existing employees on how are they experiencing the company? How are they experiencing the leaders in that company? So that's one good source that any uh, anyone considering a company or a leader to partner with can go and get insight from others that have posted reviews. I also think um, looking at the um, looking at the company's webpage and what information they've shared publicly and what kind of statements that they have around talent, human capital, transparency on um, you know representation and compensation and other things in the company are also signals to that. And then I think in discussion uh, with a with a CEO or a leader, you know what is their business strategy, and you can even ask them directly to articulate how they think talent plays a role in that. And I think through yeah. the triangulating those sources, you'll be able to assess your own view of, 
does that match your expectations? Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing that I have been advising people is to look at their corporate boards. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of work with the 50-50 Women on Board Initiative. And, uh, you know, to your point, it, it really does all start at the top. And, you know, I'd like to commend Verizon for demonstrating its commitment to that because I know 30% of your board is comprised of women. So that uh, that also screams the testimony to, to Verizon as well. Okay, so we have to stop right here, but coming up in the second part of my chat with Christy Pambianki, the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Verizon, Christy shares what life lesson she would tell her 18-year-old self if she had the chance. I think I might have wanted to tell my 18-year-old self that it was okay to break the rules. I don't think I was aware of that at 18. I probably got much more closer to like 35 to 40 before I fully (laughs) felt safe doing that. This has been Revolutionizing Recruitment with Kathleen Duffy. To connect with Kathleen or to learn more about recruitment research, go to duffygroup.com.